I'm over here now. Pardon the interruption, no need for introduction. It's the drunken monk. Turn this shit up a little, son. My bucket up in smoke, sipping Bacardi till I'm giving my car keys to Jimmy Ferrari. And we out, about to go jump in a mosh pit full of hundreds of hot chicks saying something obnoxious like, I gotta put my foot in your ass permit. When I'm done, I'll cook you in a Brooklyn blast furnace. Brooklyn Blast Furnace Podcast, another episode of the isolation sessions, because uh, the world's gone crazy. With my guest, good to see you, bro. Brian Harris, that before this honor. What's up, everybody? Good to see you. Thank you for having me. Appreciate yeah. it. Dude, yeah. thank, thank. Well, the world has gone crazy. It's the end of the world. Bro, it's fucking nuts. Well, I, I, like, right, before I, right before we started recording, you have like a haircut, so I guess you got a guy. Well, yeah, actually, I just heard your, I heard your podcast with uh, Jesse talking about how you had a guy. Everybody's got a guy. Um, <laughs> like, I didn't get my hair cut for like two months. I was losing my mind, dude. Me too. It, it just drove me crazy. I was about, I used to shave my head, like you were saying, and then I grew my hair like a couple years ago before I got married because I guess I can still grow hair, so I might as well fucking do it. Same here. We have the option. That's a good thing. Absolutely. So I was tempted to shave it again, and then. Like a week ago or two weeks ago, uh, New Hampshire opened up for like, you know, barbershops. And then my buddy, Johnny Limit, who actually, he does arrest records. He put out like yellow stitches. And he's a barber and he has a barber shop called Stanley's Barbershop. Shameless plug. But anyways. No, that's fine. Yo, plug away, dude. That's all good. But regardless, they opened up like a, you know, a week ago and I got an appointment in there. And it's like, it's only like an hour drive to Manchester. So I just drove up there and got my fucking haircut. So finally. Yeah, man. Yeah, I'm due. I got one like. I always get, I get one every two weeks all the time. Every other week. Same here. Yeah, same here. I have to. And like you said, I used to shave my head for, for like 20 years. Every Sunday, I would just shave my head. And then it goes through the weird phase. And then you get it to a good length. And then you're good. And you don't want to shave it. You don't want to go through all that again. Absolutely. So I was about to shave it again as well. But I'm like, you know what? Fuck that. Let me just go through it. And I called up my barber. I went to his house. I'm like, yo, can you give me a cut? Absolutely. Yeah, it drew him, of course. It drew him an extra few dollars, of course, obviously. But, yeah, oh, man, I'm, I'm due. So I'm waiting on a response. I'm supposed to get one probably Thursday because that's why I have a hat on again because I have fucked up hair again. Yeah, I'm like, I'm a week out, so I'm all right for like another week. Then it's back. Yeah, you're on the line. I and get then, it. Like, as of today, I think Massachusetts opened up for barbershops and like, you know, beauty salons, but by appointment. But I was like, like the dude that did my hair, luckily he took me after after hours because he was booked solid for like. The I'm next sure, week. dude. As soon as they start taking appointments, which I think they have, you know, shit's gonna be booked up for weeks. So yeah, where where are you? In, where are you in Boston? I'm literally I'm in Quincy, North Quincy. I'm literally like five minutes away from Boston. So okay, how how far are you? Because I just wrapped up a whole series with all the five final guys of the members of Bane. Yep, and a couple of them are around Boston. But how far are you from Brookline? Probably like 20 minutes. That's, okay. just, that's just a part of Boston, kind of like, you know, like you guys have your boroughs. So it's like, yeah, yeah, it's like I'm, I'm 10 minutes to like downtown Boston. Brookline's just on the other side. Okay. I'm really not familiar. I just used to go there in like the, in the mid nineties, you know, but I, I, I don't know Boston for shit. Brookline is like, oh, you know, Fenway Park's downtown, but like that other side is like Brookline and whatever. All right, whatever. But I'm surprised because, well, I'm not surprised um, because I'm in the middle of Brooklyn and there's like, we have no idea when barbershops are opening up. Yeah, that's wild. I mean, I catch the news here. I mean, I try to stop watching the news at this point because me too. In, it's just COVID, COVID. And at first, like I got it. And then it's just like, now it's like, man, but yeah, I, I'm surprised, you know, like I said, it's like barbershops, salons. I mean, we've had like, you know, I'm sure you guys do like the essential shit that's been open. Certain things are starting to, you know, restaurants do take out, but that we're not at like the restaurant phase and they're doing everything in three week phases. So there's like four phases to like coming back and everything's got to go like three weeks. And if it goes well, then who yeah. knows? But yeah, New York was like being a little more strict. It was like Boston and New York that were both being like strict. And Boston just finally started to let, starting to let it up. But I feel like, I don't know, man. I, 
the way things are going, you know, like in a week, they're going to be like, ah, oh, more cases, everything shut down again. Of course, of course. Yeah, I, I've said it a million times. It's like I almost don't even like have an opinion anymore because I don't even know what my opinion is based on anymore. Nah, dude, I feel the same way. Like, I, it's like, it's crazy, man. I, Dude, this is one of these things that like, you know, I roll with it and I was like, yeah, you got to be cautious. And then like, I've been out and about because like, I, I'm still kind of working. I've been right. doing I've been doing some like repairs at my mom's house. So I got to go to like Home Depot and all that shit. And they're open. It's like, so part of me doesn't feel like I've been like quarantined, you know, right. like no social life, you know, <laughs> hanging out with my wife, but no shows, no, you know, nothing like that. I will say like a week ago, we got together and practiced because like our rehearsal place was open. I'm like, fuck it. Um, but oh, that's cool. That yeah. It's been like a relief just to, just to, just to hang out with people. Absolutely, man. <laughs> yeah. We spent more time talking than we did even practicing. At I'm time. sure. Yes. Yeah. You know, we're never going to play a fucking show again. Who the fuck knows? But yeah, uh, I mean, yeah, <laughs> yeah you, you will. Fuck, I hope soon, but. I know, me too. But yeah, you get sucked up in it before you know it. It's like, dude, I don't, I don't even know what to believe. I don't, I don't know. I don't even think I care what to believe anymore at this point. Me neither. It's I think we're at, the, we're at the same, I think we're, 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 we're at the same point. Absolutely. I thought it was bullshit when it, when you first heard about it, I'm like, yeah, whatever, you know, cause that, Talking point, flavor of the week, you know, distraction from whatever. And then once, what really started was when they told, when, when they said that they were canceling the rest of the NBA season, that's when I'm like, hmm, now, because now you're talking money. Dude, it's hilarious you said that, because that's it. That was, so right before this hit, like right when it started, so we were out in the West Coast with like uh, in February at Madball and Section Hate and this band, Hands of God. and it ended like February 28th or something like that. We had a couple dates and we went and played like NorCal, Portland and Seattle. So when we were in Seattle, the first, like, I don't know if you remember right at the beginning, like there were 10 cases in like an elderly person's home where 10 people died. Yeah. And we played Seattle that night. So that was like right when it was popping. And you know, what's funny is I got sick, which I always get sick on tour and we were driving back. We had like, we had to fly out of LAX and I'm like, man, and this stuff started getting weird. They didn't shut down the flights yet. So this is like March 1st or 2nd. And I was like, man, what if they fucking quarantine me? Cause like I'm coughing and shit like that. And it's just right. took, like, into a tour cough. Flew home like a week later, man. That's when everything shut down. And I was like, all right. And then, like you said, they canceled like the NHL season and the NBA season. And that's when I literally said, I was like, dude, there's too much money in that shit. Oh yeah, dude. Yeah. So that was my go-to like the flights. All right. You know, the borders, but once they, once you, you know, once you do, once you're canceling major sports, absolutely. that's so much money. And those, oh. I was like, that's yeah. And then when they said, and then it was first, it was, I believe the NBA, then the NHL. And then they said they were going to push spring training back. And now I'm like, that's baseball. Just like, I mean, you're in Boston, so you're a Red Sox fan probably by default. I'm a Yankee fan by default. So it's like just Fenway Park or just Yankee. How much money is just those stadiums alone? Yeah, the stadiums and whatever surrounding it. I mean, yeah. Fenway Park, the money it brings into Boston, because that's right downtown. Sure. Like, dude, yeah, once they started scrapping that. That's I was, when I was like, something's popping off here. Absolutely. Brutal. So, yeah, I mean, we were lucky enough to get that run right before this went crazy. Like I said, it was literally like a week before, and that was a cool run. And then then we were supposed to go to – there was a bunch of stuff we were supposed to do. We were supposed to go to Canada with Madball that got postponed and just, just a bunch of, like, random shows. And shows. Yeah, man. Fuck. Here we Jesus are. Christ. Yeah, and, he, and here we are. Look at this. You know, so I, I always said that I would never do these things, like, via phone or anything like that, but – under the circumstances, but this is kind of cool because, you know, you're in Boston, I'm in New York. We would have to like meet up at a show and sit down somewhere. It's just difficult to sit down and have a pot and do a podcast. You know what I mean? So I kind of make, you know, good out of the situation. So, yeah, I've been listening to it. Like I always listen to podcasts when I'm driving. I heard like, you know, you did that Scott one. I don't know if that was like the beginning of the isolation, but even before, like I know all your other podcasts, you usually meet somebody at like a coffee shop and you do. Oh yeah. Yeah. Some of them are crazy. Like I met like, like, Holy shit, Tara, at like a diner, and we're sitting like right yeah. next to the kitchen, and you hear like yeah, it's, it's, it's a shit show. It's still yeah. cool though, but yeah, I think like you know what, man, 
dude, there's people doing nothing. So I think it's cool that you're doing content, whether you wanted to ever do Zoom or not Zoom. But, but you know what? You know what though? I, I enjoy this because at, le- at least it's not we're not like on a phone conversation. You know what I mean? Yeah. Something takes away. Like I can at least see you. We can go with body language and whatnot. So it's a little different, which is cool because like like uh, the guitarist for like Knuckle Dust, he's over in, in London. Yep. I hit him up. So I'm talking with somebody over in Europe, which is kind of cool who I wouldn't have a reach at. You know, I wouldn't be able to sit back, you know. So try to make the best out of the situation. And I enjoy doing this. I bullshit with people, you know? Nah, cool. It gives people something to listen to. And like you said, you, you, yeah. it's definitely a way to like catch up with people that you wouldn't normally see unless you were like at a fest or something like that. But even there, it's hard to do shit. It's hard. Like, like if, if, if you were like, yeah, cool. It's like, let's do it. All right. If you're playing... First of right. all, I feel stupid because I'm not going to hold you up. You have shit to do. You know, there's a hundred people there that you haven't seen that you want to hang out. I'm going to take time. It's yeah. not, you know, it sounds great in theory, but it never happens. You know, a quick one, two, three, yeah, how you doing? Blah, blah, blah. And right, then, right. you know how it is. Everyone knows how it is. But um, do you grew up in Boston? I grew up in, outside of Boston. This place called Randolph. It's right next to a smaller city called Brockton that used to do shows. It still does do shows, but uh, Brockton had like, is kind of a known scene. So, yeah, I grew up in this town called Randolph, which is right next to Brockton, uh, you know, probably like 20 minutes from Boston. So yeah. I've been like, if not Boston proper, like a suburb, you know what I mean? Yeah. So there's always, there's always a few questions I always ask people because it just interests me, not even for, Enough. you know, it's what, um, like, did you grow up in a household where there was like a lot of music in the background, like your parents or something like that? Actually, my parents were deaf, so there was no fucking music, which is actually whatever weird. But um, I had no idea. <laughs> no, no, but no, it's it's funny because people are like, yeah, you grow up with music. I'm like, no, I mean, I had to like find out myself because my parents didn't listen to music because they couldn't. But no, I I uh, I like I don't I don't know, man. Like I got into music from like MTV and shit. Like I don't know, you know yeah. what I mean, you know, or whatever. Like when I was younger, I skateboarded, and then I got into like hip hop. Um, hip-hop skating and then i got into metal and then i remember like probably like 90 and i always fuck these years up i was saying like 96 on another interview but i was in a band in 97 like (laughs) (laughs) yeah it was probably like 92 93 and i remember uh dudes i went to school with were into like they played me like biohazard and stuff like that and it started like transforming me into hardcore also like I worked at a Domino's pizza and I started getting into hardcore and the owner of my Domino's in a different town, there was this driver I met and he played drums in a hardcore band called Brawl Park. They were like out of Brockton. Um, they did a bunch of stuff in like the mid nineties. And, uh, he was like one of my gateways. Like he was like, Oh, come down to the studios in Brockton and check out our practice. So I, like I got to be around this, but anyway, so yeah, I got into like hardcore from like kind of a few dudes at school were in a like, you know, some of that and then you know i got agnostic front one voice and you know between that and and the biohazard urban discipline the agnostic front sticks out more you know it's one of those things it's like i feel like people in my age group always says it's like you're watching headbangers ball and you catch like little things you know i saw the suicidal video yeah to this day that biohazard punishment video sticks out Oh, like of course, thing. of course. Like I, said, I was in a like Slayer and stuff like that after my Me hip too. Yeah. And then I saw this, I started seeing stuff and a couple people in my school were telling me about stuff. You know, there wasn't a lot of kids in a hardcore, but there was, there was a handful. You know what I mean? See, it, it only takes that one kid to give you like that one cassette tape. with Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. The mixtape that had a little bit of everything. And then my town had a strawberries that, I don't know if you guys had strawberries like back in was the day. That, was that a record store? Record store, yeah. So I would go there, and I, you know, that's where I got the Agnostic Front One Boy. And, you know, I tried to get anything I could that was hardcore, but that One Boy record was definitely the one that I was like, all right, man, like, I get it. At that time, I mean, I don't think they were playing shows because I remember, like, always wanting to see Agnostic Front. And then I think my first show was probably like, like I said, questionable, 92, 93, maybe 94, but I went to see. Biohazard, this band from Boston called Stompbox, and a band from Boston called Reason Enough played at Axis in Boston. And that. that I've heard was, of all those bands. I've heard yeah. of them. Yeah. yeah, they did quite a bit back in the day. Actually, the singer of, I'm sure you know Reach the Sky. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I just I just got done with Bobby. Bobby, yeah. Yeah. Bane. So, 
before Reach the Sky, the singer Ian, he sang for Reason Enough. He was the second singer of Reason Enough. But yeah, they used to always play with Blood for Blood back in the day, stuff like that. So yeah, that was my first show. And like, I went to that and, you know, like I said. An experience, dude. Oh, of course. It was like, you know, when you see dudes from the band, like, you know, on the dance floor and it's just intimate and it was scary and wild. And, and then I just never looked back. I just kept on going to shows, man. So that was my like, like literally going to any show I could go to. Yeah. Yeah, man. Was there, were there a lot of venues around there? At that time, yeah. There was like, you know, also like Providence, like 45 minutes from here. So, oh, really? Yeah. Oh. So there was a club in, Bo- you know, we had the Rat, which is like our CBGBs. We had like the Middle East that did shows. Um, there was a club called Local 186. I remember all those shows were like 18 plus, And I was like, I didn't even have a license. I would have to like get rides to shows or take the T and uh, the, the subway in the city. Um, but the shows that played at like local 186 were always 18 plus, And I never tried to go there, but I would have buddies that would drive down to Rhode Island. So the same show that would play local 186 would play club Babyhead in Providence. Right, it was, it was the same, it was the same market. Like, yeah, absolutely. And it, the, this dude was like a little older than me and he had dropped out of high school. I dropped out of high school. So we started going shows all the time. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, so yeah, there was a lot more venues back then. I mean, the Rat itself is like a iconic Boston venue that was downtown Boston. That's no longer. Yeah, there. I've I've heard about the Rat a lot. I've heard about the Middle East a lot. I've just never been there, but I hear about about them often. Middle East is a cool venue. Middle East is still there. I mean, I guess I heard the property might be getting sold, but you know they were doing shows up until the Corona thing. Who knows how that affects it coming out? But uh, yeah. So, so yeah, there was there was a lot of venues. Uh, you know, those were the times where you have to like search out shows. So, oh, like, but that was you know, fun. That was it. Wasn't that that was like the I I still on, bro. Oh, that's what made it like special. That's what made it like your yeah. thing. You know what I'm saying? And it's like so that strawberries. You would go there, and there'd be like a concert listing, and you know there would be anything from like big stuff like Slayer to like big local bands you know what i mean like sam black church was like a hardcore band that played a lot and you would see stuff like that or if like madball played it'd be up there because they'd be selling tickets for like babyhead or local 186 or you know the rat and the other thing is we also had this like free magazine boston did it was called the pit report so it was like a hardcore slash underground magazine and it was it was distributed throughout boston ian the guy I was just talking about, he used to write for them too. So they would, you know, it's one of those magazines you flip to the back and would have all the clubs and all the shows yeah. next month. On top of that, you would do like call the venues where you listen to uh-huh. them, what shows were coming up. Yeah, and that's, that's how Lamore's was in Brooklyn. You would yeah. call up and it would be the whole listing and sometimes they would try to get you if it was like a really big band, they would go underneath an alias. Yeah, you, yeah. Yep. If you were hip at all, you would know. It's like, come on, dude. It's like, oh, on whatever, on Saturday, Angel of Death is playing. Right. I think I kind of might figure out. Uh, yeah. You know what I mean? You know, try to, you know, throw you a little curveball. But yeah, man, it was just like that. They were used to local TV commercials. Weird. Yeah. Dude. We would have, we had a, a, a college station called WERS. And on Sunday nights, they would play like hardcore punk. And they would actually have hardcore bands play live there, which was kind of cool. Like there's actually like a blood for blood recording from back then that I, I know they definitely put it out as a tape when I was a kid, but I feel like they put it on one of their re-releases or something like that. Probably. Just, yeah. just cool sets. And then like, you know, that's also going back to like those days would be, you know, the thank you list to figure out what, you know, you'd read a thank you list. You start knowing about bands and then you would call the local event and be like, Oh yeah, I heard of that band. Yeah. You know what I mean? Or you'd walk into like the record store and just go through tapes or records and just try to see if it looked hardcore or if it was a band that was thanked. Sure. Know? Yeah. Lucked out and sometimes you just had a roll with the record because you bought it and that was your 10 bucks. Yeah, man. I was just recently talking about that. It's like I did, um, you know, you did, um, an episode of the Illustrated News. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Well, Tim is the one who like edits my stuff, the, the, the guy over there. But, um, yeah. He does like this little offshoot. It's just, it's just simply called Tim's Metal Show. But I just, I was like the first guest on his show. And, um, and, uh, I was talking just all about metal and, and like my upbringing. And I used to say like, I used to get like, like an allowance as like a little kid. 
You know what I mean? I'd be like 14, 13 years old and I would get a weekly allowance yep. and I would go buy tapes and sometimes I would just go sometimes go buy the album art and sometimes it would just be shitty, but I would try to listen to it and get something out of it so I didn't waste my money. You know what I mean? You had to. Yeah, you had to. Like, that was your investment for the week. Like you had to rock that. Like it's just. <laughs> yeah, dude. Yeah, no, I totally, I remember all that stuff. Yeah, you would buy a CD, you know, tape. I say CDs, that was years later, but tape or, or a vinyl, yeah. and you're like, man, I thought this was going to be good. Yeah. And then you still listen to it, you know, play it in your Walkman as you're walking around fucking town, whatever. Yeah. Sometimes it'll grow on you. Like the first time I heard Sepultura, Beneath the Remains, I hated it. I hated okay. it. But now it's like my favorite record by them. You know what I mean? I just listened to it because I didn't want to waste my stupid $10 allowance. Absolutely. I remember I remember seeing uh Ignite in Rhode Island with like sick of it all years ago. And you know, that's also a time too, like back then, at least for me, you know, you you'd get to a show early because you would know like the headliner or something like that. And you'd get there early and all of a sudden you're like, oh shit, you know, you find out about bands you never would have heard of. Yeah. I um, still do that to this day. Like 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 this, is, like this is hardcore. They could be yeah. bands like I never heard them. Cool, but I'll be there for Doors because I want to check it out. And there's several right. bands that I'm like, yo, like, like that band, No Option. They came in with like yep. a couple of years ago. They were on like last minute. Like they filled in for someone like last minute. They were the first band on like Sunday. I was there early and I was like, yo, this band's fucking great. Like a bunch of young kids killing it. Yep. Because I went there just to check out, yeah. bands, which everyone should do. Absolutely. And I think nowadays, you know, it's just easy for people to scroll through, figure out like what bands they want to see. That's the worst thing about having like a timeline of who's playing when, you know, you want to be like accommodating being like, if someone's getting out of work late to see if they can make the show. But at the same time, people start picking and choosing it. And I think there was something to the element, just like you invested that $10 into a, a tape for the week. You go to a show and you pay whatever back then, eight, 10 bucks, whatever the case whatever. is, five bucks. Yeah. You're invested in that. Right. And then, you know, you got a couple extra bucks to buy a record or, or, or a shirt or something. So it's like that investment was like, you make the most of that. And, and back to my story real quick. So I went to see Ignite played right before him. And I thought they were great live, right? And I bought, I couldn't even remember what, what tape it was. Like one of their older, and I, I remember listening to it later. I'm like, I don't remember this. And I was super into like heavy hardcore, but mind you, they, they were great live. And, it, you know, fast forward, I, I threw that tape out or whatever. I was like, this is good. I tried it and tried, I couldn't. I'm like, I was so convinced it wasn't the band I saw on stage. Right. And, you know, it, you know, singing. And, and years later, I mean, that's one of my favorite bands ever. Yeah. I mean, they're a great band. But, oh, they're phenomenal. Crazy, but phenomenal. Um, <laughs> and definitely melodic. But back then I was like, you know, but I was so blown away by their live performance. And, and there is a difference between a live performance and an old recording and stuff like that. Don't get me wrong. Like ignites a band that like stands a test time on recordings too. But you know, when I was younger, I was, you know, I, I liked what I liked and I tried to be open-minded to certain things. And, and there's some things that caught me, but it was all about that, you know, that investment, whether it was a, a tape or it was a show or, you know, whatever. So yeah, I do. I do miss a lot of that. You know, I miss like not knowing anybody except for the one or two people I like went to a show with. That sure. Was, yeah. Element of fear, but like not <laughs> knowing. I don't know, man. It was cool. It was cool. Yeah. So now what, what made you decide to, well, how, how did, before that, before this honor formed, were you in any bands beforehand? Yeah. So like, that band I was telling you about, Brawl Park, they did a bunch of stuff. They probably played New York a few times, but they would always play Boston. The, their drummer booked a bunch of shows. So he, you know, anytime like Sub-Zero or like Marauder played Boston back then, they would play. Anyways, so he invited me to the uh, the rehearsal studio. Their singer was like, used to go to like, he was in like Florida for school or something. So they, I would just watch him rehearse and then like other people would like grab the mic and sing and I'm like, I can do this. Like, right? You just like scream. Of course. And just watch and just like hanging out at a rehearsal studio and seeing the ins and outs of a band and just thinking it's like this big elaborate thing. And then when you see it and don't get me wrong, these are talented people, but just seeing like the rawness of like screaming. Cause right. at first I like tried to learn drums. That's drum lessons. I'm like, I suck at drums. Like I can keep a beat. And uh, the drummer of that band like sold me my first drum set, told me where to take drum lessons. Try I just wasn't coordinated enough, man. I'm just like, I'm, and then yeah, I'm a spaz behind a drum kit, dude. 
I, I can like keep a basic beat. Like I know like two beats. And I, and I don't know. So <laughs> then, uh, yeah, so their singer was always away. So like dudes would jump up and they used to cover Undertow by Agnostic Front. So, yeah, so, you know, I, I think I like covered it. Like, you know, I just sang it at practice. Or I sang Set It Off or something typical. And then in that studio, it was called, the place was called 121. And it ended up being a club at one point, but it was all local bands. And it's funny. Uh, all the, a couple of dudes from, uh, you were talking about Bobby. He used to be in a band called Black Belt way back in the day. And they rehearsed. Yeah, he actually mentioned that. Yeah. <laughs> I've known Bobby since I was like 15 or something. Okay, but he I had no idea about Black Belt. He's like, yeah, somebody was into like, into jujitsu or something. He's like, you know, well, let's just call the band Black Belt. I'm like, yo, that's hard, man. It's hard. And it was, dude, <laughs> it was good. I've heard it in 20 years, but I loved it back then. But anyways, so I started a band called Show Force. I don't know. I think... We like recorded a demo and I wish I could find it. Um, never played a show. And then I, there was a band that was already formed. The only, I don't know if they've ever played a show. It was called Incision. And then I joined that band. I sang for them and we put out a demo and we did a full length. And we did some stuff off that. Like we played Brockton a lot, this club one, two, one. Um, and that was probably like 90. I was just talking to my old drummer. It was like 96 or 97 until like 99 or 2000. Uh-huh. So I did that. Like we used to play. Our last show was like in Philly at this place called the Kill Time, and I think it was Punishment's first show or something close to that. Oh no, uh, shit. Joe of course, yeah. So Joe Uncle, yeah, of course. Um, so I've known Joe back then, and Joe used to come up with this band Dysphoria back in the day. We used to, yeah, play. of course, I know. Yeah. So yeah, Incision did some stuff. We weren't touring. We were just like we would play pencil. We'd play like Lansdale, Philly. We'd play like. This place, Music Pennsylvania Club called CC's back in the day. Um, stuff like that with other bands that we knew. So we did that for a little bit. And then that ended, had a falling out with our bass player. My drummer was at, so the drummer of that band was the original drummer, Death Force Honor. And, you know, we were great friends, but he was just like over music. Right. So there was the gap because Death Force Honor technically started like 2000 ish first recording was out in like 2001 regardless yeah, well, of yeah the, the, the wartime demo is 2001 it is 2000 yeah so but we you know we were kind of like we had a studio i wanted to do a band because incision was more like a biohazard style band which okay. no knock on the, like still one of my favorite style like you know what i mean that groove but like a little bit metal yeah um so we wanted to just do like a heavy hardcore band like i wanted to do it um I had a guitar player, my original guitar player that used to be in a band called Liga Pain. Uh, like I recruited him and then I finally convinced my drummer from Incision to play drums. But this was like a six to eight, like we were trying people out. So I tried out Frankie, who ended up being our, fir- our Frankie's Frankie, I don't know, the only left like original member of Death Force Hunter. But I tried him out on drums. He's like, I can play drums. He came up, he tried out, he sucked. He couldn't play drums. He's full of shit. <laughs> and then... We got our drum to come back. Then we needed a bass player because Frankie was like younger than me. So I hit up Frankie. I'm like, you know, a bass player. He's like, I play bass. I'm like, dude, don't put me through this shit again. I'm like, nice. Mind you, he was younger, and if you see Frankie now, he's a beast. But I'm like, oh, I know he's an animal. I know. <laughs> I, but I was like, dude, if, you know, you come down. I'm like, if you suck at bass, we're fucking you up and taking your shit. Like, I'm not wasting my time anymore, right? I mean, I could never do that now. But uh, he came down, dude. He was like a jazz bassist for like his school. And dude just shredded. And that, yeah, go fucking figure. So that's how, like, Facebook and, like, formed. We've changed a whole bunch of the years. But, yeah, we just wanted to be, like, a heavy hardcore band. So it was all, like, leftover of, like, incision slash bands from, like, that one two one era, which was, like, a Brockton club and a yeah. bunch of bands. And then, yeah, dude, I don't know. We started Death Force Honor just to be a band. And I don't know, here we are almost 20 years later. That's crazy, right? Time fucking flies. So, so you put out the wartime demo. <coughs> Obviously, it's a demo. So you guys just put it out. You're on, and then you went and I guess you went to the studio and you and you wrote "Truth of Death." Yeah, I mean, we put out wartime, and it, dude, we were banned. Like, we all live like the, our rehearsal studio was in Brockton at the time. This was post one to one, but we started a rehearsal studio in Brockton. We were practicing like three times a week, so we did the wartime demo. We played some shows. And we were constantly writing. We were practicing three times a week, writing, boom, 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 boom. And then uh, we started doing, like, weekends and stuff like that. And then 
yeah, we did Trudel Death, and that came out on Spook City. Like, we met Sean from Spook City because we're always going down, like, because he was from Philly or outside of Philly. Yeah. Um, we were going down there a bunch. You know, Joe was always putting us on shows down there. Um, so, yeah, we did Spook We did Trudel Death, which, I mean, we still played Trudel Death. Some of that, like, if I go back and listen to that stuff, we were a completely fucking different band. You know what I mean? I, yeah, I'll never I guess. But, but there's certain things that you got to keep in the set list. People want to hear some of that stuff. Yeah. True to death, we still play. Unfortunately, it's like four fucking minutes long. And if I could redo it, I would just do verse, chorus, verse, chorus. See you later. Right. Um, but <laughs> I'm sure. Um, and, and I think that's probably the only song we play from back then. Just it, dude, We're just such a different band at this point. But yeah, we put that out. And then. Well, you did know, a split. You did a split also yeah. on Spook City with. Um, Nourish the Flame. Flame. Yeah. Yep. Yep. From North Carolina. And that was just another band, you know, that time. So like the early 2000s, there was a lot of like, it was like the internet then, but it wasn't like. It wasn't like the internet. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, there were different sites with show listens. And I remember we would do weekends. We'd pick spots. We might know one or two people would blast out. And then, and I remember we were going to North Carolina. We had a show cancel and I saw a show listing and Nourish the Flame was playing. And I, you know, for some reason, there was an image of the band, and I was like, all right, they're hardcore, right? They gotta be. Tattoos. <laughs> right. I don't know, we called them? I don't think we emailed them. Somehow we got on the show at the skate park in, like, Fayetteville, North Carolina, and we just, I don't, it was just ourselves. We are just doing a weekend of shows, and, uh, dude, it was one of the fucking craziest play- shows we played, and we just, like, clicked with Nourish of Flame, and it was one of those things, like, back then, you'd click with certain bands, yeah. bring them up. Uh, so we did a split. That was cool. Um, and that came out in what, like, oh, three, I think. Yeah. Dude, this is, I just had to talk the other day with my old drummer because he remembers everything. I think it's oh, and three. I could be wrong, but I'm almost positive. If I was a betting man, it would be oh, three. Because I think the demo came out in 2001. Mm-hmm. Trudel Death came out in 2002. And then 2003 yep. would have been split. Yep. And mind you, back then, like, it, things were a little more chaotic, like, Dude, we probably played more in out of state, and we weren't touring, just weekend warriors. Literally, like, leave Thursday night, play a show Friday, Saturday, Sunday, go straight to work on Monday. Yeah. Um, and go anywhere we can. Like, whether, you know, you know, I remember um, Frank Three Gun, that's now in Hatebreed, but when he was in Ringworm, booked us out to Cleveland. So that would be the key. Like, we somehow connected. All right, we got a Cleveland show, Ringworm. Cool. And then we just figure out a couple shows to and from. And then, um, but we weren't touring. And then I remember maybe like 2004, Mikey Hoods flew us out to, well, we paid for it, but he booked us a West Coast run. So we flew out to California and did like five shows, six shows. That's awesome. Um, that was cool. Um, and yeah. a bunch of them came with us because our first time out on the West Coast. So that was really cool. And we played like back in the day, Mikey had a place called the West Coast Worldwide, played his venue, played all the way down to TJ. That was cool. That was our first like tour. It was a week or 10 days. And then... I don't know. We started getting momentum and then, and through the whole time, like we're, you know, when you're a new band, you're kind of like figuring out like your sound, you know, you're like, all right, I want to be heavy. You know? And I, and I listen to some of those old songs and I always call them like run on sentences. Like we didn't, nor do we care. Like, you know, Frankie yeah, you was we talented. Having fun. How, how old were you during this point? I don't know. It's I'm 41. So 21. Yeah. Yeah. You're a bunch of kids, man. I hear you. I'm 44. Yeah. So yeah I get it. And Frankie was probably the youngest because I remember him. He always had a fake ID because he was like three, four years younger than us. We used to go to bars. He had to have this fake ID to get in everywhere. So he was like super young. But yeah, so, and then, and then I just remember like the tipping point. Like we did a lot of cool stuff, you know, super like DIY. Not that we're not a DIY, but super DIY, just right. random shit. Oh, we're in fucking middle of nowhere, Pennsylvania show. I don't know. Let's show up at this show and see if we can't play. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then, uh, the turning point was like 2000 or right before 2005. Like we had written friends family forever. Yeah. Friends family forever. And that was like, we're like, all right, dude, we want to be on a real label. We want to, and that's no knock to spook city. When I say real label, I just meant like, we wanted to tour. We were like, all right, dude, we're doing these weekends. We just want to tour, man. Like my whole goal ever being in a band was like, all right, I'd like to play a song and have kids sing it. And then when I did that, I'm like, I want to play a song in a different state. And then before you know it, it's like, all right, now I just want to fucking tour. That's a wrap. And then, uh, 
so yeah, we had friends family forever recorded. And I remember reaching out to a bunch of labels, got snuffed by a bunch. And Chris Ren from bridge nine was like, we were playing a show at the Palladium. It was like a fallen friend show, like benefit. And every which year, Palladium? Be a which Palladium? Which Palladium? Of course. Okay. Yeah. Uh, that does like the new England metal and hardcore. But anyways, you know, it's a, I was only it's there bad. once. I was only there once. So Chris was like, all right, I'm going to come to the show and check you guys out. And he was honest. He was like, you know, I'm not really the biggest fan of some of your older stuff. Like, whatever. Came and saw us, was like, I think you're great. He's like, just promise me you'll tour. And at that time, he had, I don't think, I think Terra had just left Bridge Nine. He didn't have Ramallah yet. But he had, he had put out a bunch of seven inches with bands that kept on breaking up. So he's like, I just need bands to tour. I'm like, dude, we'll tour. Right. We put out our As long as we get the opportunity. And that's when, like, I don't know if we had the demos for Friends Wayfair, but we were like, dude, we got this record. And then we always wanted to record at the Outpost, which is where we record it. And that was a place in Stoughton that had recorded like Blood for Blood, Dropkicks. It's just like a legendary place. So of we, course. Yeah, man. By being on Bridge Nine, we had the gateway to get in there and then record Friends Family Forever. And literally, like, it wasn't even out yet. And then, like, we just went crazy. Literally touring, like, 250 days a year. Just oppor- luck and opportunity after opportunity. Really? That much, huh? Too f- that's, that's fucking... From 06 to 09... It was 200 to 250 shows a year, dude. It was, and like, we lucked out, man. Like, I think we were a good band, but it was timing. So, sure. We had, we had recorded Friends Family Forever. I sent it in the bridge line. It, I don't know, months, but I, you know, this was, came out in 05. So, this had to be like winter of 05. There was a Unity tour in Europe, which was Agnostic Front, Terror, Diecast. Wow. Terror canceled. And someone in Europe had gotten like a, advanced copy of the record from bridge nine. So we got a phone call. Yo, Chris friend called me. He goes, can you be in Europe in 10 days? If the tour <laughs> starts in 10 days. It's a six week long tour with agnostic front in a bus. And I just went, yeah, absolutely. Dude, I didn't pass make it. Happen. I'll do whatever I need to do. I will make it happen. Sure. Dead serious. And to this day, and agnostic front did a lot for us. Like we connected on that tour. They were like very thankful that we were able to come on that short notice. And so we did that. And then their that US tour. Like that, oh shit. that must've been like an, Oh shit moment for you. Coming oh, dude, on one shit. voice and all that shit. And then now, and you're, I, now you're across the ocean in a bus with this band playing with them on a six week tour. Roger called me and I kind of, I, I might've met Roger. I didn't know him though. Roger called me to kind of give me the breakdown of the tour. Cause we're on a bus with them. And then, uh, so, we got 10 days, right? I got to pay off some court fine. Well, well, we get a, we got to, you go to the passport office, get an expedited passport. I still don't believe this shit. Cause I, I don't believe anything. Right. Yeah. So, the cheapest flights, right? I'm looking at flights. The cheapest flights were, okay. So the tour starts in Amsterdam. So the cheapest flights are, you got to fly into Amsterdam a day early. And just this, all right. I'm like, all right. So we're going to Amsterdam a day fucking early and just partying and then going on tour. I'm like, nah, this ain't real. I never left the fucking, I never been to Europe. Sure as shit. We've into back then. We had to fly with our heads. I remember they're like, you got to bring your guitar heads. And we brought our guitar heads on the fucking plane. Crazy. Dude, merch, guitars. Dude, it was oh, God. <laughs> we flew in a day early, you know, went crazy in Amsterdam. Then say, like, they were like, all right, you got to meet at this venue at 11 o'clock. We had a hotel room. It was our first time away. Fuck, we saved up. We fucking got hotels from. I think Bridge Nine fronted us a bunch of money. And then we show up at like 11. No bus, no ignore. I was like, see, I told you this shit ain't real. <laughs> no bus. Fuck, like they were running late. Sure, shit, like one o'clock, the bus showed up with Agnostic Front and Diecast. And I was like, but I was convinced, like, dude, Agnostic Front, Europe, six weeks, tour bus. Yeah. And yeah, dude. And then we just connected and then they had, that was another voice tour. And then they had a U.S. run right after that. And I think Love is Red was on it and they broke up. So Roger's like, yo, do you want to do this U.S. tour? I'm like, yeah, fuck it. Literally, Europe, six weeks, home for a week, U.S. for six weeks, U.S. and Canada. Fucking beautiful. Dude, it, and then it just went. So, Damn. yeah, pretty wild. And that was all basically, was that into the Count Me In record? Or was that just Friends Family Forever? That was, so Friends Family Forever came out two weeks into that European tour. So I remember we were like burning copies and selling it because it wasn't even fresh. We're like selling burnt copies for like $3 and photocopying. Like I remember we had like 
cool disc burner. And we did really well, like surprisingly well. And I was like, fuck, we're going to make more. And then our CDs got lost in the fucking mail. So, um, <laughs> so yeah, that was right when Friends, so like say Friends Family Forever came out like April of 2005. We were in Europe in like March or something like that. And that just, so from that, we just toured nonstop till like we did Count Me In. And that was like, we didn't even take time off. We just like maybe two weeks and we like wrote in it. Like time off, it wasn't like, you know, we'd go to Europe for three weeks and have a couple weeks off, then a U.S. tour, then we're flying to Mexico or, you know, it, it yeah. just, it went pretty nuts from, from the release of Friends Family Forever till throughout Count Me In and then when Better Ways to Die came out. And we still toured like pretty heavily after that, but it started to wind down with like band member changes. And we had it even in between, but it just started taking its toll. So the touring gets, it, it gets to be too much. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure eventually you guys want to cannibalize each other. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, dude, we had members come and go. And then Frankie, who was like our original member, after 2009, he was getting married and having a kid. And he's like, dude, I can't tour anymore. And it's like, we were touring a shitload, but we weren't making a shitload of money. You know what I mean? It was kind of like, right. if you stayed on tour, you could pay your bills. By pay your bills, you mean like a cell phone bill, cheap-ass rent, you know what I mean? Like, no kids, no house, no real apartment. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah. So like in 2009, Frankie had to step back from touring. So, you know, things just kind of regular life takes its toll, which, you know, back then, job type job shit. Like, are you going to have a job when you go back? Is you have a job, you have a cool boss. So like, are you just going to have to pick up odd jobs in between tours? Like there's so much that goes into playing in front of sometimes fucking 10 kids. Like, what am I doing this for? But then there's shows that are crazy. Yeah. And that's why we do it. But you're right. I mean, the headache and the unknowing, like I worked for like moving companies for years, smoke my back because they would allow you to come and go, or what do you care? You just work for another moving company, but shitty work. You know what I mean? So yeah. Break um, your ass, man. It would absolutely. So the downfall of like being up, people like, Oh, you get to tour the world. And I will never, I'm so fortunate for that shit. I'm just like an idiot kid that was like, yeah, I can scream and somehow went around the world. Yeah, man. It's not easy. And, and, it's, and it takes a mental toll for sure. I'm sure it does, man. It's, it has to. Absolutely. Like I was never in a band but, or tour, touring, but I could just imagine like, you know, you're on the, dude, 200 days a year. It's just, it's, it's gotta fucking be a mental fucking strain. Has Every I mean, but back then, too, we were, like, younger and just didn't give a fuck. Like, literally, we were, like, quit our jobs, went to Europe, came home, like, worked it. I just always did weird hustles and then, like, just looked forward for that next tour. You know, the biggest, what, we might have a month off, but it was usually, like, a few weeks off. And then it's like, all right, you got to drive to California to do a Mexico tour. But then, because we didn't have money to fly back then to, like, like, Mexico. We went to Mexico a bunch, but it's, like, it's not Europe money. So it's, like, yeah, we'll drive to California go from San Diego to TJ, leave our van in TJ, and then, you know, just crazy shit. Like, yeah, it's a fucking, yeah, it's fucking crazy. Uh, you, you, but you made, you made it, you went over to Japan around that time as well? Went to Japan in, I want to say, 07. Okay. We've been to Japan once, and that was like 06, 07, now probably 07 or 08. Um, did Australia a few times, did Southeast Asia once. That's great, man. A lot of some bands, some bands don't even ever make it to Australia. Yeah, dude, we, we've been twice lucky. The first time Madball took us, which, Australia with Madball, you're like, yeah? and uh, <laughs> Yeah, you got to be an idiot. <laughs> and big shout out to Freddie. Freddie and all them guys always look out for us. Same thing with Roger. And, yeah. Like, you know, like I said, we've we played with bands, and then we've been fortunate enough to become friends with them. They look out for us. and But, yeah, we went to Australia with Madball. That was great. And then we went back in, like, 2010 and headlined uh, with this band called Against. They're like an older, um, ringworm sounding uh, Australian band. I don't think they're doing shows in this band, Relentless, that had been to the US a few times back in the day. That was dope. That was real good. And that's when we did Southeast Asia. We went to Singapore, Thailand, Indonesia. Crazy wow. down there, right? Oh, dude, that's some hey. other level. Uh huh. That's all I've heard. I mean, I've seen pictures, I've seen video, but I hear that yeah. they're just fucking ravenous down there. So appreciative, like you know, uh, they love it. Definitely wild, definitely like you know, culture shock, sure. And then, like, 
Your kids are just excited, man. And they're all in, man. Yeah, man. It's a beautiful thing. It's really, man. You're playing for kids that are so excited to see a band. And it's like, so fucking cool, man. Yeah, dude. That's fucking awesome. And then, well, and then Better Ways to Die comes out in 09. Yeah. Which, gun, I don't know. Uh, gun to my head, I don't know. I, I can't really say it's a favorite, but it's, it's, it's up there in your whole discography. I appreciate it. I think that, so that record, you know, and mind you, when I say like lineup changes, we've had lineup changes. Like our original guitar player never made it past like 2006. We've had changes. You know what I mean? My original drummer that I'm talking about is still one of my best friends in my wedding. He stopped touring in like, oh, seven, you know, same thing, get married, all these things. So the lineup on... Uh, better ways to die. Plus, we we specifically took like a little time off from touring to write that record, and I think um, that at that time, you know, but count me in was just a couple of weeks. We just like bang that together. And we were kind of like writing on the road. Better ways to die. I remember like we were really like focusing on it, and I feel like we matured a lot. And that's one of my favorite records. Um, it's hard to pick one, but I do think yeah, I was like, going to say that it's like, it's like today I might pick that, but then tomorrow it might be the new record. It could be, it, it all depends. But yeah, that record, we definitely like took our time and I kind of like feel like we started like really putting in some influences, not like strategically, but I feel like, I don't know, dude, we just felt a little more comfortable to just like do some stuff. And, and as you get older, like, when I was younger, I didn't care about punk rock. Like I went from metal to hardcore. Same and, the older I get, I actually love punk rock and oi, and I kind of wish I did back then. But like, you know, so I can only imagine like Frankie was like the primary songwriter then. So I'm sure all the influence out throughout the years really came through in that. We had Memphis in the band then, and he helped a lot with the writing. So yeah, I think I think sonically, like Better Ways to Die has a little bit of everything. You know, you got a little thrash in there. You got a little, yeah, you do. little hardcore record, but you definitely have some stuff like super fast hardcore. And then like, yeah. it was cool though. Yeah, dude. Yeah, it's a great record. So now, but now, I mean, you've you've been on. I mean, Bridge Nine ended during French Family Forever, and obviously from there on, it's been Bridge Nine all the way. Yeah. So like right before Better Ways to Die, and mind you, Better Ways to Die was like '09, so that was like yeah, the end of that. You know, so '07, '08, things are great, and then '09 is when people kind of stopped buying records. Like the whole downloading thing was like yeah, and important. And I remember because. So we were technically out of contract with Bridge Nine and we met with uh, Century Media and they were like talking about signing us and we were like, we had toured so much and all we really wanted, and Bridge Nine did so much for us, the yeah. only thing that would make us change wasn't even money. It was more like we were all over the world. So like, we really wanted distribution. And Bridge Nine has distro, but like we wanted some, we were like, all right, fuck it. If we're going to just all in. And then... The record industry was like going to shit and I'm never one for money, but they offered us like the same as bridge nine. And I was like, bridge nine. And I said like, dude, I can call Chris Wren right now. And he'll answer his phone. And there's times like I've been like, Chris, we're coming back from Europe. Tour sucked. Our van blew up. We need to get to California. He'd be like, here's X amount. You can borrow this till you get back. Like he's just like, and he goes to, he's a Boston dude. He goes to Boston hardcore shows. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so we are like, we just stayed with Bridge Nine. So we technically re-upped and, and just never left. I mean, I guess we really didn't do anything besides the new record because it was 10 years. But you know what I mean? It's just yeah, yeah. bad about that. But um, <laughs> yeah, it's in Bridge Nine. Is, it's, ever since the get, it's always felt like home. And, you know, they're a hardcore label. They're 100%. They're dudes I see in, in girls too. But people I see at shows, you know what I mean? I see Chris all the time. You know what I mean? Um, and like I said, I could just text him eight o'clock at night, some random thought, and he responds. And he's a guy that, you know, he's got a kid. He, he's got a business. Uh, multiple yeah. Businesses. So, yeah, it's always just been a good fit. You know what I mean? So now what, what I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if you've, you've probably spoken about this 16,000 other times, but what, why the decade gap? I'm sure there's a million factors in there. Like, yeah. <laughs> I try to like it's hard to put 10 years together so like alright dude you put out a record you tour for like 2-3 years off of it right so typical touring cycle you know Better Ways That I comes out 09 so what 10, 11, 12 we're still touring right Frankie can't tour anymore like 
doesn't quit the band, but essentially isn't in the band. You know what I mean? We're touring. Like, yeah, all right, cool. You play in Boston. And then a couple member changes. I don't think it was much because Colin Riley, who joined the band, had to be close after that because it's crazy because it's not just band member changes because Colin, my guitar player, who joined the band to play bass, fucking crazy band, has been in the band for like eight years, maybe nine. And my drummer, Ben, has technically been in the band for like seven years. So it's not really member change. Like we just were touring and then, then we started winding down from it. And then you get burnt on touring and we're like, all right, like we need to do a record. And dude, the first song off the new record, we wrote like seven years ago, eight years oh, ago. Shit. We never put lyrics to it. Or we, there was a couple different versions of lyrics and it's a fast song. We've yeah. had forever. And we demoed songs and like my guitar player lives in Western Mass. Not that it's super far. It's like an hour. At yeah. that time, Ben, my drummer, was living in Providence. Once again, not far. But you get back from like a three-week tour. And also, like, my dad was really sick for a while. Um, and that was like, he's probably sick for like four or five, like real sick, cancer. Like, I'd go to Europe because we were still touring, but we weren't touring like crazy. It would be like, you get home from a tour, just personal life. Next thing you know, like six, yeah, we practiced a couple. And then six months goes by. And then it's like, and the whole thing with my dad, me personally, and every time I go to Europe or do a tour, and the tours are getting shorter and shorter, but I'm like, dude, if I have to fly home from fucking Europe because my dad dies, like, how does that happen financially? Yeah. Right? Yeah. And so, I don't know, dude, just between all these things, like, we, ha- we finally get the solid lineup. We're like, all right, we're going to do a record. My dad gets sick. Then I get married. And I don't know, dude, it's just like, like you said, I- and you get burnt. I'm like, you know, there hasn't been a year where we haven't toured, but I think like three years ago, we only did like one 10 day tour and a couple local shows. It was just like, just kind of burnt. And then, you know, when my dad passed and then I, you know, then I had the wedding, my dad made it through that. But then I was like, I don't know, dude, it just felt like a huge relief. And then we could just like, I could focus on the band. Um, Not that other, you know, the guys were writing songs. We had a bunch of songs. We had more songs than what came out on unfinished business. I just, wanted to cut it down and just kind of like no bullshit um so yeah a hundred reasons why that oh, yeah and, and, and dude the whole time i'm like i would see chris at a show and he'd be like new record like yeah this year dude it was so bad when we finally landed a recording date with zeus i didn't even tell chris Ryan because i didn't think he'd believe me till i'm like oh shit i need to tell chris Ryan because i want the record to come out this year i don't know what his schedule looks like right yeah it was wild but yeah that dude's always been great I'm sure, I'm sure it felt good to get back in the studio to, write, to lay down a record now. Well, dude, it was kind of nervous. Like, nerve, I was a little nervous. All right, so you got, so Frankie's still in the band, but, and Frankie's done like 95% of the writing throughout the history of the band. And on Unfinished Business, he wrote lyrics to one song and maybe helped structure a couple, of, but it was really like Colin and Ben too but Colin was like so you got a new guitar player and Colin's been around he was in a band called Shoot to Kill then he was in 100 Demons for years um, and he's an amazing guitar player and he's writing songs and we're like yeah this is Death Force on it but it's been so long it was kind of like nervous plus we recorded every record at the Outpost for years and that dude's like not there so like a couple years ago another reason why we didn't record we started talking to Zeus so Zeus has done like you know, he's well known for like hate and a bunch. But I mean, he's done terror and Mabel. And he's all, he used to be in Push Button Warfare. He's the old Western Mass hardcore dude. Uh-huh. So he was like, he was talking to us about, he was talking to Colin about he wanted to do a hardcore record. It's been a minute since he really has. And we're like, this could be cool. And we weren't sure because, you know, it's Zeus. He's like, he does crazy shit now. Yeah. And uh, it was, he was going to, you know, give us a little bit of break, but it was on his schedule. So he wasn't really like calling us. And I remember, the beginning of last year, I was like, dude, if he doesn't hit us up, because now we're ready to go. But at first, we're using Zeus as an excuse. We're like, ah, Zeus hasn't hit us up, so we don't need to finish this record. Right. <laughs> On top of the personal stuff, and a lot of that stuff's probably me, because Colin would be like, we got to put out a record. We're not going to do another tour without a record. We'd right. go on the tour without a fucking record. Cool. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so I remember it was around Christmas time, and I was like, Colin, like, all right, we got to... I had talked to a different recording studio and sure shit, like the same week. We had a few shows in January of 2019 with Madball on the East Coast. And Zeus was like, hit up Colin and was like, you're to- the-, the fourth day ends in Connecticut. My drum studio's there. Can you record? And I was like, 
So we went from like years to now and we got songs, but they're not like, there's still lyrics. <laughs> now we got four weeks to get wow. in the, around Christmas. And I'm like, but yeah, so yeah, I was a little bit nervous, but dude. And I got to say, like I said, it's the first time without Frankie, even though he came to the studio a little bit, but like he, it's Frankie's always the guy in the studio. Right. And this time it was like Colin. And I, and like I said, it's tough for me because I don't want to take anything away from Ben at all. Like those yeah. dudes, you know what I mean? But Colin was in the studio because he lives in Western Mass. He was at Zeus. But yeah, so I was a little bit nervous. So new dude recording us, haven't recorded with these dudes, played with them everywhere. Right. You know, and I knew we were tight. And then it's like, it's been so long, you start going, is this Death Force song? You know what I'm saying? Like, I knew the songs were good. And that's why, like I said, so strategically, I was like, we had a bunch of songs and I was like, you know what? People's uh, mind span is like a lot shorter now. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. People's attention span is shot. I was like, you know what? Like, and, and by, because we had songs that were just a little bit not different, but I was like, I just want it to be in your face. I just went back to like the Friends Family Forever. Like, that was seven songs originally. This was eight, and I was like, dude, let's cut out the bullshit, just straight to, just, that's it. A heavy, hardcore record, that's it. And, and like I said, we had other songs, even that song Left to Die, that's the second last song on that, we wrote that a week before, because I didn't want to use this other song, and not that it was bad, I was like, I just need something that's like, boom, 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 done. And then, uh, so once we were in the studio, and it started coming together, I was like, fuck yeah, man, that felt good. But at first, I was like, (laughs) <laughs> yeah what the fuck we doing yeah, that's yeah. Cool. but yeah dude i mean I, i'm excited about how it came out i'm excited zeus did it i'm sure uh, i'm fucking dude, doing I, mean, I mean i obviously i had no idea about that whole backstory and, and everybody who's watching a lot of people who's watching and listening had no idea but regardless of all of that adversity and this and that and the, the hurrying up towards the end bro you came out you came with a, with a great fucking comeback record after a decade dude yeah dude i'm I'm pretty psyched, man. I appreciate that. Yeah, you, yeah, you should be, man. It's fucking, yeah. you know, I'm sure there was expectations because it's been so long. Yeah, of course. Man. It, yeah, there was, expect. I'm sure there's expectations from a friend. And then there's like, you know, we're not a legendary band. We're not a new band. We're kind of like in the middle. So it's like, yeah, we're still playing shows, but we're not like the hot young band. Right. We're not mad ball or agnostic front or sick of it all you know we're kind of in this weird like gray area so it's like you know that makes it a little nerve-wracking but at the end of the day we're still a hardcore band so you know all i cared about was being psyched on it and like i said in the studio you know i heard the drums i'm like damn that sounds good and i'm like once this is done and as things are coming together and zeus like zeus was a fucking man i was worried about it being like overproduced right He's done hardcore records, and, and even, I don't even think he, but he's done, like, I'm like, what was the last thing he did? I, I don't know. Right. And dude, that dude was, like, just the man about it. He was like, no bullshit, no frills. This is just going to be a raw record. I'm like, Thank you. Beautiful. Yeah, he knows the deal. He knows the deal. Absolutely. So everything, everything just clicked, man. And once I heard it, I was just, I was, like, just psyched, man. And that's, like, I guess at the end of the day, why the fuck do we do it? Yeah, you want to make people happy. You don't want to put out a record. But ultimately you've got to be happy, right? Yeah. I was going to say you like it. You have fun doing it. It feels right to you. That's all that really matters at the end of the day. Absolutely. And these dudes killed it. I feel like we all killed it. Zeus killed it. And I'm just psyched on it, man. It, it, it felt good. Like I wanted the record and then it just brought some life to it. And it's just yeah. like, man, like I could care less. Don't get me wrong. I hope we get more opportunities and this and that. And like, we're, we have every intention to tour more than we have in the last few years. We we're trying to. Yeah. Uh, but even if not, I can sleep at night knowing that record. I'm happy with it. And that's why we're getting into this type of music, right? When yeah. we do in bands in this type of music, right? First and foremost, you write shit you like, and that's it. Absolutely. For now, sure. I mean, I don't know. It's a silly question, but do you have anything, any plans as far as another record or anything written yet? We, well, we had other songs that didn't make that record. And I didn't make, like I said, I just feel like, I don't know. Yeah, you got like lingos. So one song has is a little more all out war ish. Like, you know, we kind of have different styles, right? So I was just like, ah, this got a little more intro. So we have songs, but then like so we got together last week and I'm like, there's still life on this record, right? So the record, it'll be a year in July, and then you've got all this bullshit. And it's like uh-huh. me, I think the record's so dope. It's like I wanna I'm gonna try to do like more with it. Like this is I'm able to tour more. We all want to tour more. It's the first time in years that's able to do. Yeah. That we're all 
that and, and maybe do some cool stuff, man. Like, look at how many like hardcore bands going out with thrash bands or something like that. Like, oh, sure. cool there's so stuff, many mixed man. bills nowadays. It's crazy. Right. So, but we were talking like me also, who knows like what the outcome of this pandemic is for the music industry. And I don't mean like hardcore bands are going to be hardcore bands, but I'm saying like, as far as recording, like, are we going to, are there going to be labels to put out a full length? Like, so we were like, maybe we'll do a seven inch or something. Uh, just so, and I don't know what in my head. I'm like, you have some leftover songs. We're going to do a little limited little seven inch bridge nine. Yeah. A little seven inch, maybe split. I don't know something, but we started to talk about that in like, you know, maybe do an intro, a new song, a cover, something, I don't know, something like that. Just yeah. to like, and maybe it'll be next year. You know what I mean? Because, yeah, we can still tour up this new record, but it's been a bit, and nowadays, you know, you got to stop in the fucking air. Yeah, you, and you also got to stay in people's, you know, in front of people, so. All right. Something new would be cool, but yeah, we definitely have, I mean, even when we finished Unfinished Business, we were touring. We were like, all right, you know, a couple of years. Gonna probably, it's not going to be a 10-year thing. Like, Right. I'm not getting any younger. Um, the band's like, and, and by no means were we not in the groove because these dudes have been in the band. Besides my bass player, he's only been in the band for almost a year. But me, Ben, and Colin, and that's no knock on Greg, too. Greg's been in the band. He's been phenomenal. Sure. And I think it's going to last a long time. But, you know, that chemistry has been there. So I feel like, yeah, we, we're ready to tour more. We're ready do a record in a couple of years but with this like i said I, maybe yeah. we'll just bust out a seven inch or something like that well hopefully i mean i say it all the time since i've been doing these hopefully sooner rather than later this shit fucking blows over and everything gets back to somewhat normal yeah. i know and it's tough because i'm like i don't i don't even know what i don't know dude usually right like when things get weird you're like oh we're a hardcore band like that shit don't oh all the venues in Boston shut down because of something stupid. All right, we'll play a hall or a basement. This right. is a little different. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, I don't really know what, but underground and hardcore and punk and all that stuff, it always finds a way and, and music will. So it's just a matter of, you know, I heard rumors maybe like the fall we'll see some stuff and not touring, but like some local stuff, maybe. Yeah. Smaller, you know, I just don't know how, I don't know how it unfolds, you know, but then the fall is supposed to be when everything comes back and it's, you right. know. Right, exactly. I mean, I guess, they, I guess they know that. I don't know. They know things. They don't know things. I um, mean, this whole thing is crazy and I, I don't, I, who knows, you know, I don't even know what to believe. We talked about that earlier. I mean, I do think if this is resembles a flu, right? Flu season is always like fall and winter. So I'm sure, yeah, maybe it's going to come back. But like, what, are you going to shut everything down again? Right. And then what? we're going to get ourselves out of that economy wise. And then, I don't know. And as far as like shows, like we're not a band that, you know, we don't need a certain amount of money to do a certain amount of things. Yeah, of course we need to get paid and stuff, but like, I don't know, dude, if, if things are still weird, but we can play regionally, then we'll play Boston. We'll play New Hampshire. We'll play Maine, New York. You know, we're lucky we're here so we can do a bunch of stuff. Yeah. You're only a couple hours away from any direction. So absolutely. So we'll make stuff work. And, and yeah. you know, we are supposed to go supposed to be in Europe. June that got pushed to next year, of course, all the time. But then they were even talking about maybe this winter. Um, but you know, who knows? Who yeah, knows? they don't even know. It's crazy. Nah, yeah, sure. who knows, man? Fucking nuts, dude. Well, listen. Thank you for your time, my man. Yeah, I just realized I rambled like a mother. See, this is what happens when you don't go out for a while. And it's all good, bro. This was easy for me. I'm sitting here just listening. This was great, though. Talk about over an hour it's fucking beautiful sure for sure yeah man now i'm gonna put the video out raw just like this but then yeah. the audio version i'm gonna put like my intro and yeah. and then end you have to pick it obviously because it's it's your episode you got to pick it up before the sound of it i'm gonna tack on to the end of the episode a song or two no, no, I was just saying, I saw, you like, a am like, a video? I don't fucking know. I mean, I was... No, a song, yeah, an audio track that I'll tack yeah, on the end of it. I would push, I mean, probably one of my favorite one. I, don't know, I like the new record, but I would say True Defeat off the new record is pretty hard. That's okay. Like, True Defeat or Bad Blood, one of those two. I mean, I don't know. Anything, I don't give a fuck. <laughs> All right, well, we'll close with True Defeat off of the newest record, Unfinished Business, Bridge yeah. Nine Records. Now, now where, where um, can people, uh, you know... Where can people find you, the whole social media thing? Was it Death Before Dishonor, HC on Instagram, right? It's HC or BAC, I forget. 
Okay, uh, one or the other. Death Before Dishonor, the hard. Death Before Dishonor, BHD or HD on Instagram and, you know, Facebook. Yeah, all that nonsense. Absolutely. And then, awesome. you know, Unfinished Business is out. Check it out. Buy Bridge Nine, support them, support us. Yeah. Do what you can. Buy shit. I don't even know if people got money anymore. I don't know. Well, then again, I guess the government's handed out money, so we're, we're good. Yeah, right? Buy a fucking racket. Keep yourself busy in, in your fucking quarantine. <laughs> Something. Something. Dude, Brian, thank you so much, my man. Thank you. Hopefully, I will see you in person sooner rather than later. I agree, man. It'd be nice to get out, go to shows, play shows, I don't know, hang out, not yeah. live yeah, in this man. time. I'll be there. All right, brother. My man. Be safe, bro. You too. Later, man. Later. Never met an outcast So desperate for acceptance you chose the wrong side Now this will be your penance Forget my face Forget my voice Forget it all As if you had a choice Guess you both Sooner or later How could I have ever been Friend or traitor Now It's a true defeat When you're by yourself And there's no one there to save you Now It's a true defeat When you're on your knees And you're begging for your life Now It's a true defeat When you're by yourself And there's no one there to save you Now it's a true defeat when you're on your knees and you're begging for your life. Accepting you for what you were, we took you in. You were the single biggest mistake I've ever called a break. So stick to your lies and the friend who left you to die. Bleeding and crawling in the dirt, at least now you know what you're fucking worth. No tears when I watch you fall. No pity for you at all You live with the choice you made And you deserve all my fucking rage Now, it's a true defeat When you're by yourself And there's no one there to save you Now, it's a true defeat When you're on your knees And you're begging for your life Now, it's a true defeat When you're by yourself And there's no one there to save you Now, it's a true defeat when you're on your knees And you're begging for your fucking life Used to think we were one and the same Now I know you're the one to blame It's not my fault you couldn't learn It's not the left of the bridge you burn And there's no one there to save you now